Hi everyone, how are you? Welcome to my podcast and, and you know today I want to look at conflict resolution. Uh, there's something I've noticed in the church and this is the fact that there's usually a lot of conflict in the church, a lot of it. And you know sometimes I try to understand why we are having all these conflicts as believers and it fails me. You know, it fails, uh, you know, it fails me. I just don't get it. I don't understand how, uh, you know, we can be uh, Bible people and yet we have a lot of conflict among ourselves. You find in church setting that people hate each other, people gossip about one another. People have this petty stuff that, that, that they are pushing, you know, uh, they are trying to bring politics in church, politics in, uh, you know, in, in times of, offerings, tithes, positions, you know, all these things. And when I say this, I am saying it from, from not just reading books or listening to stories of people, but I'm saying it because I've been there. I've, I've been, you know, I've been in church for a while, for a long, long time. I have worked in, you know, being involved in, in churches. I, I don't remember any time in my life when I was not in a church or I was not active in one way or another, either assisting or leading or just doing a few stuff in the church, okay? I was introduced to church by my mom uh, when I was 10 years old and, and you know, introduced to church and introduced to Jesus Christ and I began serving. So the first place and the first environment that I served in as, as, a, as a believer was in high school. In Kenya, high school is, is what class? From, from the age of 15 to, to 18, you know, so, so that's high school in Kenya. And so I got to this high school and I, and I you know, got involved uh, in what we call in our country, Kenya, the Christian Union. Uh, the Christian Union is where, uh, you know, people from different beliefs, uh, different churches, different denominations, uh, and they all believe in Jesus Christ, come together and form a group that's called Christian Union for the purposes of worship and praise and reading the Bible and just staying alive spiritually. So one of the things that I'm very glad you know, about my nation is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is allowed to go into high schools. And many, you know, many people have received Jesus Christ uh, through high schools or, or, or through the ministry that is done uh, into the high schools. And I'm happy to say that I am part of uh, my faith was built while, while I was in high school. And when I cleared high school, I wanted to go back and, and just give what I got from it and just preach and, and win young people for Jesus Christ. And that's what I, I do. But that's, that's besides the point. My point today is conflict, conflict in the church. You know, the reason why I've come up with this or why I, I'm doing this podcast is uh, because I've seen a lot of people cry, I have seen uh, tears, I have seen a lot of pain, I have seen uh, people who've wept because they, were, they felt betrayed, or others have abandoned ministry altogether because of conflict in the church. There are also others who have remained in the church and decided to uh, you know, inflict more pain in the people who are in the church. Now, in my experience of church, there is no church that I have been to that did not have 
conflict. There is always conflict. In every church that I've been to, there has always been uh, conflict. Uh, you know, it is either the women are fighting, you know, you know, throwing some words here and there, or the men are disagreeing, or the kitchen has a problem, or the sound people have a problem. You know, it's just, it's a whole mess in the church. And the funny thing is that in the midst of all this conflict, we as a people of God are expected to solve uh, the conflicts of other people. We are expected to bring solutions. We are expected to be the people at the forefront to try and resolve problems for other people. And that is where another, uh, I don't know whether to call it a double standard or a no standard at all. But then I also noticed as, as I tried uh, to understand why we are having conflict in churches. And when I say churches, I mean the co-workers, the people who work within churches. Uh, either they're, they're on pay or they're volunteers. You know, and when I say co-workers, I mean the ushers, the praise and worship team, the choir, uh, you know, the different people, the ministers, the different people who work within church setting. You realize that there's a lot of conflict that goes on. And one of the saddest things is that uh, people who met out this, uh, this uh, you know, gossip or, or insults or intimidation are people sometimes who have a lot of power within the church. Now, in my thinking and in my, you know, my worry and all that, I realized that people actually change when they come into a church setting, hopefully compared with, um, with the corporate. For example, when you're in the corporate world, you're expected to do your job. And yes, there is conflict in the corporate world. I'm not, I'm not saying there is no conflict. Yes, there is in the businesses and in the companies. They, are, they have their own kind of conflict. But then this conflict gets resolved or not. I do not know. But what I've realized with believers and most Christians is that they tend to change when they come to a church environment. Many people will go out of their way to deliver on their day-to-day -day job. They'll go out of their way to become the best CEOs. They'll go out of their way to become the best marketers. They'll go out of, your, of, their, of their way to, you know, to get sales. They'll do everything they can to succeed in their careers. These same people are volunteers in the church, and so they come to church, and they begin to question everything. They begin to question how the church is run. They begin to question how the pastor is handling other people. They also begin to question their own colleagues around, you know, and then when you give them a task or a responsibility, they uh, either resist your authority or the task that you're giving them, or they begin to you know, mama, uh, you know, chinyamaji, you know, they're not coming out and saying things openly. They're, they're, they're talking behind your back and giving all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons why you should not lead them or you should not be giving them these responsibilities or why they should not be given those particular responsibilities. And they give reasons why they, another person should get those responsibilities and then you listen to them and you wonder what's wrong with us now the, the truth is 
people change when they come to church, whether they're getting paid or they're not getting paid. And I'm not saying everyone changes. I am saying some people change. It seems to me that majority of people change when they come to church and then they begin to attack one another. And the sad thing is that these attacks are made in the name of God because no one wants to look like they're the evil one. So they all, always invoke the name of God or they try to look like they're doing the church a favor by attacking a particular person or by attacking a particular way of doing things. All right. Now, having said that, I'm not saying, uh, I also have to say that the church is not, uh, the churches and, and, and the structures and the governance of different churches is not also really nice. Okay. We have pastors and bishops who are abusing, misusing the people who are under them. Yet at the same time, we also have churches and congregations that are abusing and manipulating and intimidating their pastors. Okay, so we have those two scenarios. But having said that, we also have to realize that the, the, the sources of conflict in the church or the, you know, need to be identified by the individuals. Higher. Now, having said that, let me also say that conflict in church hasn't, uh, you know, didn't begin today. It began in the Bible days. You see a lot of writings of Paul and James and John uh, warning the church, telling the church, uh, telling the believers not to be hypocrites, to avoid gossip, to avoid this and that, to avoid strife. Yet, uh, these problems have uh, crippled many churches that I know even right now in my nation of Kenya. Many, many churches have been crippled due to conflict. And, and so I want to tackle this uh, very briefly. And I don't want to go very deep into it uh, because it's a whole lesson that can take a long time. Uh, the kind of conflict that I want to deal with is the day-to-day -day conflict, the day-to-day -day running of the church where uh, people disagree on food, people disagree on how the kitchen should look like or where the kitchen should be or where the spoon should be kept or how the plates should be arranged or who sits where in the church or how the church is arranged or organized. You know, just little, little things that we actually think are not major. Yet out of these little things is what becomes a problem. Proverbs uh, 17 verse 14 uh, gives us a sneak preview of what I'm trying to say. And he says that the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. It's like opening a tap and then you let the water pour slowly, one drop after a time. Let's say, for example, you go to church this morning and you realize that the church has not been wiped. The chairs have not been wiped. Uh, you know, for the churches that still wipe chairs, I, I understand there are churches that have vacuum cleaners and all this stuff, and that's okay. But for the guys who still, you know, cl uh, clean uh, the chairs in the morning, you go to church this morning and you find the chairs were not cleaned. And then that becomes a source of conflict. And you begin to confront everyone and anyone who was responsible uh, or who you perceive to be responsible. 
Now, the Christian thing to do at that point is to begin to clean, uh, to wipe the chairs uh, before you, you know, bring up conflict and begin to confront other people. All right, so the beginning of strife is like letting out water so quick, the Bible says, before the quarrel breaks out. Okay, quick before, in other words, quick before the quarrel grows into something that you don't want. And the, the, the problem that we have is that we have a lot of people who want these things to, you know, to grow and, and, and you know, to become big so that they can be seen as if they are big. Now, I, I still don't get why we have some small, small problems of conflict and why, uh, you know, we are, we are doing this. So in other words, deal with conflict early. Avoid it if you can, all right? And just try to be calm. Now, being calm is, is a spiritual gift. If You know, calm as a dove, Jesus says. And so try to be calm, all right? And then you're, you've got to, if you're, if you're having challenges in your church, and I know many of you are, many of you are listening to me, and you're very active in church, I am almost 100% sure you're having some challenges in your church. So if you have experienced this kind of problem, the number one solution or the number one way to resolving it is to deal with it early. The moment you see that there's going to be conflict, deal with it, either by confronting the person or by avoiding that particular conflict or that particular conversation at that moment. All right? So obey Proverbs 17.14. The second way of trying to deal with conflict within the church is, you know, in a biblical way, is practice restraint. All right? Practice restraint. What I've re realized in the church in the several years that I've been there is that one word can ban you. One wrong word or one sentence can be misinterpreted to become something you never meant and even sometimes something you never said. Okay? So once that fire is, is up and once the word goes out and says, so-and-so said this, then it's very hard to try and come back and say, no, I didn't say that. This is what I said and this is what I meant. By the time you're going to try and, and, and you know, contain it, it's already gone. People are hurt already by things you never said but were perceived to have said. People are already quitting church. People are already quitting departments. People are already downing their tools. And sometimes it's too heavy a cost. All right? Practice restraint, especially with your tongue. Now, James 1, chapter 19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, these are some of the th these are three key things that I really, really try to put into practice in my own personal Christian walk and in my service uh, to church. I try to listen, and I try to be very slow to speak and slow to anger. The reason why I do this is because I am, I am, a, I am what they call, uh, uh, what do you call? It? They call a choleric. Okay. I'm the kind of a person who wants things done and I want them done in a specific way. And I'm the kind of a person who will not appreciate mediocrity or people who, who are lax and lazy or look like they are lazy in their job. I appreciate people who, you know, who work 
and, and go out of their way to show that they are working and also to meet expectations. Now, this personality of mine has been in conflict with people in church, especially church settings. The reason why is because many church people do not expect uh, this kind of personality to be in the church. <laughs> in other words, they don't expect to do the work. They don't expect to be pushed to keep time. They don't expect to be uh, you know, aligned into a particular thing. They want to be you know, cajoled and, and persuaded. And, and that's okay. That's okay. There's no problem with that. But then when it comes, in my view, when it comes to the work of God, and that's why I began by saying people give everything for their career, but when it comes to the things of the church, they want to look at them in an arm's length. They are in, but they are not in. They are involved, but they are not involved. They are, they are, they are on a 50-50 Basis 50 50 relationship with the church, so they are okay with Jesus, they are okay with God, they are okay with salvation, but they're not okay with church, they're not okay with the bride of Christ. And so, you know, you look at these things and you wonder sometimes, you know, what's happening. So, I'm a driver and I push people, and sometimes my pushing people uh, makes people some people resist and others align. So, this is. Uh, an immediate source of conflict. So I have begun or I have learned uh, through the years to be quick to hear. I listen and I hear a lot. And one of the things I realized is that the, you listen and you hear things, then you are slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, one of the things that I've learned uh, in, in my time of ministry is the ability uh, to listen and not act. Right or not necessarily confront. So sometimes confront is uh, confronting is not the way. But then there are moments that you have to confront. I hear so many things as a church leader, and I hear so many uh, things that people have said about me, and I listen, and I sometimes I agree with them, sometimes I disagree. Uh, but then I say, you know what? All of us have stuff to do, and I have work to do, and I'm gonna do my work. Now, in this age of self-expression, everyone uh, feels like they are meant to express themselves or they have a right to express themselves. And in this age, when you wrong someone and they don't know anywhere, they don't know where to go, they go to social media and they speak to the entire world and they can shame you, they can put you into all these uh, problems. But the thing is, it is an age of self-expression. Self do not be caught doing that. Do not be caught uh, using your social media account to attack someone else. Okay? I'm going to give you a, a Jesus model of how to solve this thing. But practice restraint, especially in, re in relation to your tongue. Even in honest confrontation, you, do, you don't need to unload everything. It requires a lot of wisdom and a lot of juggling for you to be able to do these things. So, now let me read you a scripture in the book of uh, uh, First Peter, uh, three, eleven. First Peter chapter three, uh, verse eleven, uh, that says, "Seek peace and pursue it." All right. First Peter chapter three. So I'm going to begin from verse nine so that I can give it context. The Bible says, "Never return." evil for evil or insult for insult. 
scolding or tongue lashing the wicked. But on the contrary, blessing, praying for their welfare, happiness and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. For know that to this you have been called, that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. For let him who, who wants to enjoy life and see good days, whether apparent or not, keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from guile, treachery, and deceit. Let him turn away from wickedness and shun it, and let him do right. Let him search for peace, harmony, and, and, and disturbedness from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts, and seek it eagerly. Do not merely desire peaceful relations with God, with your fellow men, and with yourself, but pursue, go after them. All right? Pursue peace. In other words, no matter how you feel about someone, what they have said about you, what they have done to you, if you are a believer, you want to walk with Christ, and you will say, you know what, I'm a disciple, and I want to do this, then you've got to take the step towards peace. It's on you to take that step towards finding lasting peace uh, with this friend or with whoever that has uh, offended you. You see, in the world that we live in today, this is very a very, very unpopular uh, teaching. I'm going to tell you that. Everyone believes they are right. No one wants to be confronted. No one wants to be told they are wrong. The moment you say to someone you're wrong, the first thing they do is they put up a defense and they say, no, you are wrong. Or they try to justify. You know, I've been there. They try to justify uh, their wrongness or whatever it is that they're doing. And others will ask you, you know, you're telling me I'm wrong as a who? Who are you? You know, we are living in an age where people say, do what makes you happy. But they don't add and say, Yes, it's okay, I agree. Do what makes you happy, but do not infringe on the right, on the rights and peace of other people in your happiness. All right? Be happy, but don't infringe on my rights or on my peace because of your happiness. So this quote of saying, do what makes you happy, it's an okay quote, but then you've got to consider other people. Do not infringe on their rights or disturb their peace by doing that. And do not cross their moral lines. All right? This, this is a very unpopular gospel, very unpopular message. But you know what? I'm not here to, to, to become popular, to be, you know, to be loved by anyone. As I said in some previous podcasts, I am you know, in a theater, I'm acting, and I have an audience of one person he's watching me he's looking at me and he's the one the only one who concerns me and he's a plow all right so romans 12 20 let's stand there romans 12 20 if you have your bible we begin from 18 verse 18 romans 12 18 i, I always want to do the the context it says if possible as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. Okay? Now, let me take you to verse 17. Or do we just go all the way? Let's go all the way to 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, uh, people or things, and give yourselves to humble tasks. My goodness, never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own concepts or in your own eyes. Now, that verse, you can cross-reference it with Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Okay? So here, Paul is writing to the Romans, telling them, do not be snobbish. Give yourselves to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself. All right? These are the Romans. So remember the, the kind of life the Romans are living. So then he says, number uh, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. Again, cross-reference that verse with Proverbs uh, chapter 20 and verse 22. Now, some of you may be wondering what, what Bible is this I'm reading. I'm reading the Amplified Version, the classic edition, Okay, just to put that in context. Then verse 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay? Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, verse 19, but leave the way open for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. All right, cross-reference that verse with Deuteronomy chapter 32 to 35. And then verse 20 says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will hit burning coals upon his head. My goodness. Cross-reference that verse with Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22. Then verse 21 of Romans say, Romans 12 says, Do not let yourself be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Ooh, beloved, let me, let, me, let me just go back a little bit uh, to verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Okay, we've talked about that. Never overestimate yourself. Repay no one evil for evil. Now, this is what I'm talking about. You don't have to revenge. Okay? Trust God to do it for you. Sometimes, you know, there are churches that encourage people to pray prayers of death to, uh, to their enemies. And, and, you know, the Bible says in 20 verse 20, there is, a, there is what Paul implies. But if your enemy is hungry, it implies that we shall have enemies. Okay? Now, when Paul was writing this text, he was not uh, looking at it the way we are looking at it today. In the world of today, the enemy, you know, our enemies, according to what many churches teach, the enemy is that prayer partner. Your enemy is that usher who looked at you badly in the morning. Your enemy is that usher who gave you a very bad seat or a seat in a bad place. In today's world, I mean, it's funny. Your enemy is the, the guy who parked on your parking, uh, parking in quotes, parking spot, you know. Who said that? I don't even have words to try and, and, and just elaborate for the church of today. 
is doing to their members, you know, telling them to pray prayers of fire for someone to die, praying, uh, you know, and saying that this guy is, is going to die and uh, we burn you by fire, by fire, you know. But the Bible teaches something different. Paul said, for by so doing, feed him if he's thirsty. Give him drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. So one of the ways that Paul is suggesting that you can actually burn your enemy is not by praying prayers of death or prayers of fire upon your enemy. No, it's actually by feeding him if he's thirsty, by giving him a drink if he's, uh, by feeding him he's hungry uh, and, and, and giving him drink if he's thirsty. Right? You know, to Paul, the Bible, is giving a very different angle, a very different approach to what we have been trained. Many Pentecostals uh, or Charismatics have been taught uh, to kill and, and, and destroy. You know, recently I was watching, um, you know, last year, not recent, last year, after November elections in, in America, I was watching a lot of, uh, you know, a few Pentecostal leaders, charismatic, uh, great, great leaders, you know, men that I have respected over the years, preachers of the gospel, and the things they were saying, my goodness, you know, I, I was worried, I got worried, and I asked myself many questions uh, in regards to what they are teaching and what they are saying to the people, right? But I'm not going to go there, what I'm saying is, Burn your enemies good deeds, not witchcraft prayers. I call them witchcraft prayers. God does not answer witchcraft prayers. Okay? But he says, leave it. Do not let you, Paul says, do not let yourself be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, by doing good. Ooh, powerful. The Lord says, uh, vengeance is mine. You can never avenge yourself. But leave the way open for God's wrath. Leaving the way open is not uh, by praying witchcraft prayers. We've got to take this, this verse in context. Leaving the way open is by doing good. You do good to those who oppress you. And the Lord himself will act on your behalf. Okay, but if you go there and you begin to pray and you begin to uh, you know, speak things against the people, then the Lord will not be with you. The Lord will not be there with you. All right? Now, turn to Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 25. And I'm going to give you what Jesus uh, you know, gives, the model uh, of Jesus Christ and how to resolve conflict. Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 25. And this is what the Bible says. And again, I'm reading the Amplified version, the classic edition. It says 23, so if you are presenting your offering at the altar and while there you remember that your brother has something uh, or such as a grievance or legitimate complaint against you, leave your offering there at the altar and go. First, make peace with your brother and then come and present your offering. Come to terms quickly at the earliest opportunity with your opponent 
at law while you are with him on the way to court, so that your opponent does not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and he has thrown you into prison. Alright? Now, let, let's also go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. And it says, if your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you have won back your brother. But if he does not, take along with you one or two others, so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. This is a very interesting text. You know, very, very uh, interesting. Now, this is what happens in church. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it. Many times in the church, we don't obey the first step. We don't, we don't obey the first step that Jesus says, if your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault between you and him privately. Now mark the word privately. Privately. If he listens to you, you have won your, back your brother. The problem we have is that we don't even go to the next step. We don't even go to the second step. Okay? We don't go to the second step that Jesus is offering. And he says, so if he, has, if he doesn't listen, take along you along with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three. So what do we do? So here Jesus gives a three-step formula. Okay? But the church, the members, the people, we as believers, we don't even think about the second, the first or the second. We go to the third immediately. And even sometimes, so the third step is telling to the church, and if he refuses to, let, uh, to listen to the church, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. Now, this is the thing. The church of today, we don't even go to the second. We don't use the first. We don't go to the second. And sometimes we jump the third and we go to the fourth immediately. He becomes a pagan to us. Oh, very interesting. He becomes lost. He becomes this person that we can't even listen to. Many have missed opportunities from uh, from people who are greatly anointed because of this. All right? Now, conflict resolution according to Jesus, the first thing that you've got to do, if someone has wronged you in the church and you feel that indeed they have wronged you, it is on you. It is your responsibility to go and confront that person. And by confront, I, I don't mean you go violently. What I'm saying is you go and show him his fault. Explain to him what he did and what you felt. Between you and him privately. All right? This means you have not told anyone else what he did. It is you alone who knows what he did to you. So you go and tell him privately all right, without telling anyone else. Many people have failed this test over and over and over again. Many, many people have failed this test over and over and over again. 
And guess what? Because I want to tie it with Matthew 5.23. Okay? So because we have failed this test, and we have failed over and over and over again, and we have failed again and again and again, we jumped the first step, second step, and gone on to tell the church, and gone on to treat brothers and, and sisters like pagans, yet they still come to church. These friends, if you've been here, you've got to repent and ask God to forgive you and make your heart right. Because Jesus says, so if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and while you're there, remember that your brother has something. He has a complaint against you. Leave your offering there at the altar and go. First, make peace with your brother. Okay, now this is on the other, on the other side. With a guy who's wronged someone. Okay? And you go to the altar and you remember, oh, oh, oh. Now, this verse assumes that you know you wronged someone. And one of the things I've noticed in churches is that many times you, the people you hold grudges against don't even have an idea that you have a grudge against them. The people you look at and you feel like you want to fight them have no idea that you want to fight. And that's why we go back now to Matthew chapter 18, 15 to 17. If you have something against someone, tell them. They will apologize or ask for forgiveness or accept it. Or they will refuse to listen and they will fight you back. Okay, And then you've got to take two witnesses. Now at what point then, if you tell someone one thing, at what point do you take two witnesses? It is at the point that they keep repeating and they keep doing the same thing, okay, that you told them you don't want done to you. They say, what? Wow, they keep gossiping about you. That's the time to take two witnesses. All right? Now, I know there's a lot of questions and I know there's a lot of, you know, things that are going right on in your mind right now. And what I'll do, I'll appreciate a voice, a voice note. If you can leave me a voice note with the questions that you have, the clarifications that you need from this teaching, then I will, you know, I'll come back again and I'll do it again. And I'll clarify the things that need to be clarified. All right? So Jesus comes out and says, all right, so this is the thing. And, and, and in Matthew chapter 5, 23, he says, if you're presenting an offering, now you've got to understand how important offerings were to the Jews or to the Israelites. They were so important that for Jesus to say this, to tell them, leave your offering and go and make peace with your brother. In other words, Jesus is saying, peace with your brother or your sister is more important than the offering you're giving. In other words, the offering you're giving can be rejected based on whether you have peace with your brother or not. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So this is the conclusion on my side. If you have issues with, you, with anyone in your church, please try your best. Go talk to them. Raise it up. And don't wait. Do it quickly. The Bible says, Deal with it quickly. All right? Jesus talks about being quick. Agree with 
your enemy quickly. And so go and, and talk to that person very quickly and deal with that issue. Conflict resolution. And I pray that you will have the courage and the peace that comes from God for you to be able to resolve the issues that have been eating up on you. Many people have quit ministry. Many people have gotten sick in church because of conflicts, because of all this hate that's going on in the church that is not needed. This hate is not needed. For the church to be able to move on, we've got to deal with this stuff. Please, when you listen to this word, don't say, oh yeah, so-and-so should come to me. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying, you know, Paul tells the Romans, be humble, give yourselves to humility. Okay, he tells them in the context of him talking about peace, give yourselves to humility. So when, when you listen to this, don't say, yeah, yeah, so-and-so should come to me. No. You know, what I'm saying to you is that you are the one to go to them and say, you wronged me. Or you go and tell them, I wronged you, and I'm sorry. You know, that's all I'm saying. Conflict resolution. Thank you, guys. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Let's say a prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I bring everyone who is listening to this podcast and to this teaching before you. I pray that you bless them greatly and mightily. Father, help us to resolve conflict in our homes, in our churches. And, oh, Lord, this has focused on the church. So I pray for the church in my nation and the church across the world. The Lord, you may bless them greatly and mightily. In Jesus' name I thank you.